Welcome to Album Book Club, a bi-weekly podcast in which we decide upon a theme, recommend records that fit that theme, and then meet back up to share our thoughts. I'm Joey Albin. I'm Darvel Hurlbutt. And I'm James Doyle. So we went over, we've been listening to Gigi's Recovery by The Murder Capital. This was my pick for just one of the albums of 2023 that I wanted to talk about. And again, this is one that I I knew this category was coming. So I was searching, trying to find something and uh, Return My Head came up on, I saved it to a playlist and as I was listening through the playlist, it just kept coming back and back. Then I listened to the album and yeah, all year, last year was listening to this album, excited for the chance to have an episode on it. So we're finally here. If you're not familiar with the Murder Capital, five-piece band, James McGovern on vocals, Damian Twitt on guitars, uh, Cathal Roper on guitars, Gabriel Blake on bass, and, oh, Irish, <laughs> Diermois Diermo Brennan on drums, maybe? So this is their second full-length record. It actually, the peak position on the Irish charts, they're an Irish band, was number one. And it got to 16 on the in the UK charts. So pretty big hit overseas. I'm looking it up. Apparently that name is like from an Irish legend. And it's pronounced Deermid. Deermid? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I, I knew I was going to say it wrong. I, I, <laughs> <laughs> so what did you guys think? I liked it. I liked it because, to be honest, like, all the post-punk I'm familiar with is like firmly in the like original, like when post-punk as a genre kind of happened, like literally post-punk. <laughs> so like <laughs> I, I was not really, I'm not really familiar with any more, certainly not any contemporary post-punk bands, let alone really any like modern post-punk bands that kind of sound like this. So I, I enjoyed listening to it a lot. Uh yeah, this was a really hard one for me. This is a this is a record that has a lot of elements of music that I really like, and um, the like the best analogy I could come up with was like, did you guys see the the new Ghostbusters? Uh huh. The Afterlife, yeah. Um, I I went and saw that with like my brother and sister and my wife and like all of us, you know, grew up watching Ghostbusters, and we. Like the whole time throughout the movie, I was watching it and like it was hitting all the beats and everything. And we got done and everyone was gushing about how how much they loved it and everything. And I was just like, it was all right. <laughs> like, like I like like I should love this. It had it, I love I love the kids in the movie. I love the all the references. I love all this, but it was just like, it's okay. And and that's kind of how I felt with this. Like I felt like there are a lot of elements that on the al- album. And I mean, I've I've written more notes on this than like any other. Like I've got like pages here. Oh wow! (laughs) I think what it really comes down to for me is I don't like the production on the record because when I went and watched live performances of these songs, I really liked the songs, but the the energy on the album and the way it's mixed is so muted and so samey throughout 
that I think a lot of the like a lot of the elements you don't get unless you're listening on like high quality headphones. Like it, a lot of the stuff I really liked on the record never came through in my car speakers at all. I don't think I would come back to this record just because I don't like listening to it. <laughs> but I would, I would, I would be first in line to see this band live. And I do want to want to bring up something. When I was listening to this record, Megan came in and was like, "Oh, is this the new stuff that you're recording with Darvel and Joey?" <laughs> and I was like, "Why would you say that?" And she's like, "Because Darvel's singing." Huh. And now that I've heard it, I can't unhear it. Like you're, I don't think your delivery is the same, but the range and some of the way you choose to pronounce your notes do very much overlap with this singer. <laughs> I'll have to, like, I have some stuff to say about the voice, like when we get into the tracks, but uh, I don't think I'd ever been like, oh, this sounds like I sound. So I'll have to <laughs> listen for that more. Well, now, now I'm in a weird position because if if I ever if I'm going to criticize anything about the vocalist on this, James <laughs> is going to be like, "How dare you!" <laughs> I did want to ask before we get into the tracks, as far as this being called post punk, James, do you feel like, "Oh yeah, this is definitely post punk"? Are you like, eh, "Maybe not so much"? I, I think it definitely fits in the category, and in fact, like I was writing down things that I was reminded of as I was going through and like, I think of the very obvious comparison, like right off the bat is joy divisions, unknown pleasures. I think that's a very like Joe, you mentioned the drum mixing, like that very dry cymbal sound with a very mm -hmm. fat snare. Well, and, and, yeah. and the fact that like this singer sounds a lot like Ian Curtis at times from, from joy division. Right. So so that slotted in there. I also heard some examples of like Bauhaus and like a little bit of like psychedelic furs at times. So I, I think it, it 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 fits in there well. I do think they're trying psychedelic furs, isn't that like eighties music yeah. or yeah? Okay. Is that post punk is I I thought post punk was I guess I don't know my uh timeline well enough. That's older <laughs> than I expected post punk to be falling in. Yeah, I think post-punk, and Joey, you can correct me on this if I'm wrong, but I think it's like like the very end of the 70s through the early 80s was like the first wave. Yeah, that's that's kind of what I have in my head, like basically like 1980 through 19, through the late 80s, essentially. So I, I think that Joy Division cool. record came out 79. So yeah, like 1980 would be like right on. Yeah. I think the post is referring to like post the invention of punk rock or like post okay now punk rock exists and has like some defined characteristics now this genre is kind of in the wake of that it's kind of how i understand like, okay, it the punk scene is over now we're in post-punk but it's more like after punk's been defined they're kind of going alongside each other is that what you're saying yeah that, that's kind of how i would think of it and yeah, when when you look at like, if you type like post punk into like Google, the the bands that you get are like a little bit all over the place too, and they have some commonalities. But like a lot of people put the Cure in post punk, which maybe the first couple records, but I do think they stray away from that, you know, and kind of become their own thing. 
Uh, similarly, you know, like I said, I, I've seen some people put like the Smiths in post-punk and they don't sound like any of these bands that we're talking about. Yeah. So I think it's just kind of like the timing. Hmm. Well, I, uh, sounds like I need to go explore more post-punk because <laughs> I just, and again, as we get into the tracks, I'll explain more, but there's even parts of it. Like I can't explain why I love listening to this album so much, but, uh, if those elements are in a lot of post-punk, I'll be excited to go explore more. Well, let's dive into it. This first track's kind of like an intro track. Existence fading. Existence fading. Existence. Exist. Existence fading. Exist. Lots of noise and sounds, but... uh. You know, there's some stuff there. What do you guys think of existence? It, it's a fine intro track. It's I, I don't think you can talk about this track on the album without talking about the last track on the album mm-hmm. because I it, it's very obvious they were meant as bookends. And when you listen to the entirety of the record, I think it works better than this track as an intro track by itself. Um, I did like the long crescendo, and I did like the the dissonance hitting like 50 seconds in uh, for any anyone who's into like uh, like avant-garde music. It's very Lamont Young-esque. I thought that was kind of a... I'm sure that's not what they were going for, but that's what it reminded me of. So... Well, and it's... I, I was kind of laughing because like, it, like you picked this album, Darvel, and then to me, this song, maybe the only song on the album, but this song definitely sounds a lot like... Uh, Pink Floyd, <laughs> especially spe- <laughs> like specifically the Pink Floyd album we talked about. And so I, yeah, I think I, I liked it. I also, I like when there's an intro track that actually does like a seamless transition into the next track, like a true mm-hmm. intro, like it, it stands alone. It's not just like we took the first part of the next song and put it on a separate track. It's like a standalone thing, but it does literally introduce like the next really the whole album, but certainly the next song. I, I think I like when that happens. And like you said, like, it's cool. The first time I listened to this and I real when I got to the last track and realized like, oh, this is, we're doing that first track again, but different, you know, arrangement kind of, I thought, I thought that was really neat. Like, I don't, I think maybe out of all the albums we've talked about on this podcast that has an intro and an outro type function. I think this album does it like really successfully. Yeah. I was trying to look up anything about, I mean, I didn't put a ton of time into it, but I mean, I've always assumed this is, you know, like a concept album where it's all connected and intertwined. And like, I have a story in my head, but as I like really dug into the lyrics and like was looking for something saying like, yeah, obviously this is the story. I didn't find anything. And so I was like, oh, I don't know how much of this is just like me taking pieces of each song and creating this story in my head or how much is like, oh, no, it's there. It's just anyway, that was a but yeah, I do love even if there isn't that element to it, you know, intentional or not. I do love that feeling of the album being just very connected and with this intro and outro solidifying that. Well, and I do think that there is a there is a, a type of concept album where thematically everything is similar, 
but it's not telling a story directly. Like I'm thinking about like a like Songs for the Deaf by Queens of the Stone Age, where it's like supposed to be like someone flicking through radio stations. But the songs don't really have like a straight storyline you're following. It's just kind of this like, what would be a cool way to tie these things together? And I think thematically there is a lot of that. So Yeah, it's I I kind of ended up doing the same thing, Darvel. Like I started to, uh, as I was like, when I listened to it and read the lyrics as I was listening, I did start to kind of notice like that there's like kind of the skeleton of a story you could, you could almost imagine a story here, especially if you kind of rearrange the order of a few things or maybe like took a verse of this song and a verse of a different song. Like you can tell there, there are some things about, about it. And then, and then even looking at like, the name of the, if we're going to choose, if we're going to have an intro and then the only lyrics in that intro, you know, there's like basically one line being repeated. You have to imagine that is kind of like an important hint as to what that story could be about. And so like starting with that as like a starting point, I think I I definitely was starting to kind of almost like Polaroid developing, you know, like what this kind of story could be not maybe not so much a story as as so much as like a a situation or like a scenario or something. Yeah, I, 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 I read some of that as well. All right. So then, like we said, connected straight into the next track. Got crying. the sounds in this album are one of the things that I love about it. And just that, what you get at the very end of existence coming into this, that sound going Mm -hmm. on. Just, there's so many elements of that, that I, I just love hearing even, it would be easy for it to be something that I'm like, okay, I'm tired of hearing that. Like it's getting annoying, just being repeated. But, uh, it never does that because of everything else they bring in with the sound. Um, now, with sounds like that, I mean, I'm sure it's not someone on a keyboard like playing those notes. I imagine it's more of kind of like some kind of droning effect or something. Do you guys have any idea what you would use to create that for a song like this? Yeah, so this is why I went and looked them up live. Because I saw there were five people playing, and so I was wondering how they did it. And um, to talk about like how dense the scoring is on this record, there are times where all five of them are playing and they still have backing tracks going on. (laughs) So I'm thinking a lot of these things were, they're either captured audio that they did with, you know, modular synthesis or whatever, or there are things that were made in like FL Studio or Ableton that, they're using as backing tracks, but they're they're not they're not creating these lives. Though some of the times you do see the the lead guitarist, I'm not sure which guitarist that is, um, he has quite the pedal board set up on like a little tray table and he's like spinning knobs and 
pushing things and pulling things to make things happen. So, one well, something I really like about this album, like obviously there's a ton of like synthesizers and stuff, and then the guitars are using a ton of effects. But I think something that's cool is there are many, many points in this album where I don't think I could actually tell you whether it's a guitar or a synthesizer making the sound. And it's Mm -hmm. not because like, oh, he makes his guitar sound just like a synthesizer or, oh, he makes the synthesizer sound just like a guitar. It's like they're both sharing this kind of like same synthesized audio space. And because the, the synthesizers on this album are very organic sounding. It's, it's not like, you know, eighties new wave synth or like, like it, it doesn't sound super like bleeps and bloops electronic. It's very like raw sounding at times. Um, it, that's, it's kind of one of the things I like so much. And I think it's what makes them able to make these like huge washes, thick sheets of sound is that like, they all kind of sound similar. I know like in this song specifically, I wrote a note about it, like all the rotary speaker stuff, whether it's a real rotary speaker or, you know, a a synth patch or whatever is really cool. I like, like a lot of times with rotary speaker, the, the speed of the, the rotating is kind of constant. Like, like a, your normal organ patch or whatever has this like rotating speaker. And on this one, you get all these accelerating rotary speaker sounds where it's like, you know, like this, like very speeding up thing that happens, which is, is very cool. Yeah. On that sound in particular, I, I, I likened it to um, the motor on a vibraphone, like someone adjusting the speed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is, it's not something you hear a lot with that sound effect. When, and you, you can do the exact same thing. Like if you, if you have a rotary speaker or delay setting or echo setting on your guitar and you bend down and twist the knob, you get that kind of warbly sped up oh. sound, you know? So once again, it could, could be any number of things making the sound, I guess. This is, I, I like this song. The one thing I noted, like, this happens a lot in the album, but this is our first experience of it. Like, really wacky chord progressions. Like, <laughs> I don't I don't mean that in, like, a bad way necessarily, but, like, chord progressions that, like, sound a little bit random, like, in terms of what chord ha- happens after another chord. This record as a whole embraces chromaticism a lot in a way that mm-hmm. you don't hear in modern music, which is kind of neat. Um, so, so Darvel, are you listening to the track now? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, start at like one fifteen, and listen to the vocal line. Is this listening to see if it sounds like me? That 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 is you. Like that <laughs> that that right there. Like I'm pretty sure I could just slot your voice in, and, and no one would know the difference. The stars catch fates. They send me into the sky, lost in time and space. Huh. I think one of the things that catches me off guard there is I don't I don't feel like I sing this low. Like typically the songs I write are a little bit higher. 
And so, and that was one of the notes I had on this album overall is just like, like I avoid singing in this lower range, but the way that he does it, I really enjoyed and was like, man, maybe I need to play around with not trying to just sing higher all the time. And so that's, that surprises me that you're like, oh yeah, no, this totally sounds like you. (laughs) So talking about our, you know, hints of a story i interpret the fact that like the the bass drum in this song for like the first half of it is like a heartbeat is like part of this kind of i think that there's something going through this album of like imagining a child being born that maybe it and this child either actually wasn't born or maybe is just like a weird fantasy or something. Um, but this is like the the first track being existence and it's this kind of like washy ethereal thing. And then like we our very next song is this like heartbeat drum pattern kind of reinforces that for me. Yeah. And I um and that again that matches up with lines like in Ethel, there's some lines about having babies and stuff. And right. uh, I know I my overall sense of this, like the story that I'm getting from it, and it might just come from the word recovery in the name of the album, but that is like like almost losing a loved one mm-hmm. um, and kind of dealing with everything leading up to that and after, um, or maybe actually losing a loved one, but and then recovering yeah. from that. But yeah, I com- I completely agree. Like we'll get to it when we get to Ethel. But it is, I do get the sense it's like there's a loved one that either, like you said, either they almost lost or maybe was lost. And they're like imagining like future stuff that won't happen now because of it. It's kind of like a lost potential type type theme. And that's one thing I really enjoyed the lyrics in this album, but it is one of those things where it's like, I don't know what they're saying but there's a lot of like (laughs) lines that i'm like i just love and in this one the i'm asking for a friend just that hook and that lyric stand out really well Mm -hmm. so going back to what you're saying about like the vocal like the the range that the singer sings in compared to yours i think that's actually a good example of some of the genre stuff we're talking about earlier because something that is very distinct about all post-punk I shouldn't say all but like the majority of post-punk and then and goth rock is this kind of like low singing British guy (laughs) like (laughs) that all kind of sounds like the guy from Joy Division and I think like if you were to take your average Joy Division song or any, any band in this genre and then replace it with someone singing um I don't know like Tom DeLonge or something (laughs) like it would I think there would be people who would maybe argue like it is not post-punk anymore like it's kind of like a core element of the genre maybe Hmm. yeah when you said that and I started thinking on it it's like yeah you kind of get into like if you keep the trappings of the genre where you've got these kind of like upbeat drums and these kind of like down-tuned like ethereal kind of shoegazy elements but then put the the higher upper register and more energetic vocals it kind of becomes like first wave emo 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it would sound similar. Yeah. And that's, yeah, because I, and this will kind of lead us into the next track, just the, like, initially hearing this these vocals, I did not like it. I was like, oh, why are you singing so weird? Like, why don't you just sing normal? <laughs> uh, but then I enjoyed the song so much, Return My Head, that I kept coming back to it, and I got more and more used to the vocals. And now I'm at the point that I just love all of it. Uh, but expect my wife to come in and be like, what are you listening to? Like, why is he singing like that? <laughs> but uh, I don't know. It's definitely because I feel like for myself, when I'm writing songs, I always push myself to sing higher. Like I put myself in a higher register than I probably should. But I don't know where the mentality comes from. But I always feel like there's more energy. There's more like feeling by singing in a little bit higher but seeing the way that he uses this lower register and kind of playing around with how he's singing there and like emitting that energy in different ways made me really like, oh, I'd rather play around with this and sing in a range I'm more comfortable with, but still be able to work in that same energy with it. Mm-hmm. So Return My Head, this is one of the singles off the track, off the album. Return my- And yeah, it just immediately caught my attention from, again, I pieced together a playlist of just the top song streamed from an album that had come out in 2023, just going down that Wikipedia page. And yeah, this one was easy for me to move over into the I want to keep listening to it playlist. So we we mentioned the drums quite a bit on this record. I I do think, first of all, the drummer for this band is phenomenal. I want to get that out there like... I'm not criticizing him at any point in time. His playing is absolutely fantastic. I do think, however, this record is going to age terribly in terms of the drumming because it is very much like an artifact of this time. And this is the very first one that uses the the chopper and or clap stack Mm -hmm. that is very prominent throughout the record, which is very much a 2020s thing. Every drummer has them that I think is going to be a little bit like the uh, like the Zillbell of this era where everyone had to have one in the 2010s and now no one has them. It's like, like Octa, Octa Toms. <laughs> oh yeah. Or, uh, or Roto Toms. That's to be another yeah. example. Yeah. It's, it's like, it, it's used well, it's used with good effects, but, but every time I, I heard him hit it, I, I did like kind of laugh a little bit like, okay, you, you got suckered too. Or, or, <laughs> or your symbol company is pushing this. Like, I don't know which one it is. I do like like the super gated compressed drums like even like you can hear the compressor like clipping a lot on this album like even like distorting at times which I think is pretty pretty cool sounding like ultra ultra saturated gated drums that I think they sound really good. I do think this track more than any other track reminded me very distinctively of The Killers. And I think part of that is is like the up-tempo feel. There's also this like really neat guitar part that has kind of like a clave rhythm a little over like a minute in. That's kind of gives it a dance feel. Face upon it, tip 
I think is not present elsewise on this album except for one other track. I really like whatever the weird guitar sound is right after the chorus. It's kind of this like siren sound. It's so cool. I love it. <laughs> and that's another thing with this album that I like in instrumental parts, I tend to be like, okay, let's get back to the vocals. Like, especially doing this podcast, I've learned more and more how much like vocal melodies and stuff are important to me. And this is typically where like guitar solos would happen. And I'm not a fan of guitar solos or even just that idea of kind of like, I'm doing this not as much for the sound as much as it is to show off kind of feel. I'm like, that that takes me out of the music. But there's a bunch of instrumental stuff in this album, including, um, I don't know if it's the same part you were just mentioning, Joey, but they have a little bit of instrumental break where guitar is doing something a little different. But it's not anything that's like impressive, but I feel like it does just add that little bit more the song needs to keep it moving on to the next chunk. And I'll bring this up again in future tracks where I really like kind of get lost in the instrumental stuff that usually doesn't happen for me. You know, I was kind of surprised that there wasn't an instrumental track on this album. It seems like this band would lend itself well to having the occasional instrumental track. So it's kind of surprising that the vocals are so constant, really. There's not much pure instrumental stuff. Well, and, and part of that goes... And again, I don't know these people at all. And I could be... <laughs> ascribing something that isn't there to this. Um, but the vocal parts on this record have a little bit of a smugness to them. And I, I don't know, maybe the dude's a nice guy. <laughs> but when, when I was hearing him sing, like I kept coming back to uh, the track Well, I Wonder by the Smiths. And I was like, he reminds me here. Yeah, he reminds me a lot of Morrissey. And I hate Morrissey. <laughs> and so like, maybe it's just like an unfair comparison of like, Morrissey is a terrible human being. So this guy's probably like, you don't get any instrumentals. Like, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm The only thing I can think of is the scene from The Office where Dwight is asking Jim about the bed bugs. And he's like, when the bed bug <laughs> left, how did he act? Did he act smug? And he's like, oh, so smug. <laughs> yeah. But after a bit, you did it run away, fearful, or did it walk away, smug, self-assured? So smug. Like he thought it was funny, like this. That's a bed bug. Yeah. Everything's a joke. I know. So track four, Ethel. This was one of the other singles from the album. This is the song that I think really shines with the chromaticism on the record. There's a lot of use of minor seconds. Mm -hmm. um, but what I think is neat about it is it's not just like stepping to the minor second. They move the whole chord, <laughs> the minor second. And I think that's really fun. Um, it just puts a whole bunch of crunch in there. And uh, 
Yeah. Really like that. Have you ever watched uh, Ben Levin on YouTube has a video that I really like a lot. It's called the, uh, the Radiohead chord progression generator. And he, <laughs> he basically, it, I mean, it's, it's very clever and like it, it works. He like walks you through like how to generate a chord progression that sounds like Radiohead. So like what that entails is like what, what makes a Radiohead chord progression sound like it does. And so he kind of makes like a flow chart of like, if you're on this chord, you can move to one of these chords. And if you're on one of those, you can move to one of these. And it, it kind of reminds me, this is a little more idiosyncratic than that in that like, it's almost, it's hard to call some of the stuff in this song, like a chord progression, because it is like, kind of abruptly going from one chord to another, but it it, it kind of reminded me of that. Well, and since, since you brought it up, um, I was saving it for later, but yeah, uh, Johnny Greenwood needs royalties from this record <laughs> because everything from his tone, his effects sound, his his chord, like it, it, it's such an emulation of what Radiohead does. And when I went looking to see if anyone else had made that comparison, uh, the singer for this band himself said that Radiohead was a huge influence on this record hmm. along with uh Nick Cave, Steve Reich, Brian Eno, The Velvet Underground and My Bloody Valentine. Well, yeah, there you go. So I mean, yeah, it's it's like I I think this is kind of what we were talking about with the 100 Gex record of like filtering genre through the modern lens of all these other artists, the difference being that Unlike a hundred gecks who like change genre, they're pushing post punk through all of these things at once. Mm -hmm. So this was for a while. This was my favorite song on the album. I think it finally recently got supplanted when I was kind of honest with myself about what I actually enjoyed most. But I would say this is like still either tied or like a very close second for my favorite on the album. Like, and I, I think. A big part of that, weirdly enough, since I usually don't care about lyrics, I think a big part of it is like the lyrical content, like that we have this whole song and we're not kind of not quite sure what it's about until we finally get to the end where he's like talking about what seemed, you know, like this new baby Ethel or, or something. Like, I think it's like a really pretty powerful, like lyrically, I, I don't want to get too, uh, speculative or too explicit but there's even some stuff on this song like the lyrics that you could almost read as like metaphor for like the reproductive process like like physically like anatom not anatomically but like the actual like human reproductive process i think there's i think it's a valid read on the lyrics at times I also love towards the end of the sound or the end of the song, all the little like sprite synth sounds and tambourine, like all these kind of like bright, almost like firework splashes and stuff, I, I think is really fun. And I did have a note about that too. I, I love the use of the crappy tambourine. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. The crappy tambourine is like one of my favorite sounds on records. Uh they're they're not spending the money on like a real nice grover or black swamp or anything. It's like the the plastic tambourine you like see Fisher like price. <laughs> yeah like the back of a church that's been used by everybody <laughs> like <laughs> no head and just like a 
a broken plastic frame. Yeah, talking about the lyrics, I love the second verse here, the 10 pages of her favorite book, Leave on the Light. I'm feeling the evening with her blue-eyed soul. I'm her shield. And that's where I'm like, reading that the first time and everything, I mean, I, I love the line, 10 pages of her f- favorite book, but I didn't know like what it meant. But now, like, kind of seeing it all together again, it's like, oh, this seems like he's reading, you know, reading to his child, leaving the light on for them, you know, the blue-eyed kind of innocence, and, uh, you know, I'm her shield. It's like, oh, awesome lyrics. And yeah, I again, I've got like two, three different stories in my head from like <laughs> what this, he could be saying in this song and what's going on. But, uh, you know, there's I, I don't feel like there's enough to merit any of those being what it is about. But at the same time, like, I do enjoy... It is hard for me because I'm like, I want to know what this is about. Like, give me the answer so I can <laughs> have it about that and go on. But when I like let that go and just let it be like, this is this is for he- this is here for me to enjoy and interpret. And if I can create these things from it that I enjoy and like, you know, affect me emotionally and stuff, then let me do that. And and in that way, it's probably better you don't give me the answers so that it doesn't turn out being like. Oh, dang it. I made that up and was <laughs> like, that's not what I thought it was. But yeah, there's a, the other thing I want to say about the song is the guitar, which you get just right out of the gate. guitar line i freaking love i love the sound of the guitar i love the i mean like the having the melody inside the chords like whenever i'm trying to write something on guitar that this is kind of what i feel like it should have where it's like it's not just the guitar chords it's not just like a one note melody but it's like kind of both of those intermixed the thing that's crazy to me is that like if i had written that i'd be like oh this is so cool this is gonna be so great for the verse of a song but that plays throughout the whole song. Like the only time it's not playing, it could still be playing. Like mm-hmm. it's just, it's crazy to me that they can do that and it not, like I didn't even realize that was happening until I listened to it recently, like paying attention to it and was like, oh, like there's no big change into like, you know, a chorus or bridge, big chord progression change that would make that line not work anymore but at the same time like the song doesn't feel like it's just the same thing over and over so i don't know how they do it but i love it and it's cool too because sometimes it's easy to suspect in a band where the guitar players are using a lot of effects sometimes there's some little voice in your head that's like, maybe they're not very good at guitar. (laughs) Like you start to wonder, like, is this like a gimmick? But like, you're, you're absolutely right. Like there's a lot of very good, competent guitar playing on this album. And like, I think even the stuff with a lot of effects probably would not be as successful if the guitar playing itself wasn't like very expertly done. So I was going to say one more thing. It's not directly related to this song. But because this song is maybe the more like gothy sounding song, 
I have to tell you all about, like, I don't know if I've told you all about this before. One of my legit favorite goth albums is this weird chipmunk album. Have I told you all about this? (laughs) So someone on YouTube made this like 10 years ago and they took, so the way, you know, the chipmunk, like Alvin and the chipmunks, the way they make those is they take the song, the recorded song and slow it down 50%. And then they have studio vocalists come in and sing over it at that speed. Then they speed the whole thing up back to the normal song, which makes the vocals sound like chipmunk style. But what's cool is if you take a chipmunk song and slow it back down again to 50%, you're left with like normal human sounding vocals and these awesome sludgy reverb sounding songs. And there's this album that this guy put together on YouTube where they take, it's like eight chipmunk songs that he thinks are like the best example of this. And it's like the coolest album. (laughs) Like I listen to it all the time. It sounds like the coolest, like goth ultra Brian Eno produced thing, but like songs you've, you've heard before, like, like the best goth cover of walk like an Egyptian or, you know, like, uh, my Sharona or whatever. It's really good. And like multiple people, I've explained this to them and they're kind of like, yeah, okay, that sounds weird and dumb. And then they listen to it and it's like, okay, this is pretty awesome. <laughs> so it's very cool. I've actually heard my Sharona off of this. I did not realize okay. that's what you were referring to. I'm excited to check it out. So Joey, you said this is up there. If not your second favorite, tied for your first favorite still? Yeah. It, I mean, it, it was my favorite for like the first most of the listens. And then mm-hmm. I think the last couple of listens, the other one that was kind of tied, I think, what, like I said, when I'm being honest in terms of like, what do I actually enjoy? I think, um, well, what's the name? I think Only Good Things narrowly edges it out for me a little bit, but only very narrowly. Yeah, this is definitely up there for me. As I was listening to the album the first few times, this was the song that like, kept jumping out at me and I kept going back to. And it's up there in my top three. Yeah, Joey and I are strangely in agreement. Those are my first and second choice on this record too. Only Good Things being the top one and Ethel being number two. I think, I think something that really like... I know it's what initially caught my ear on this song and then what I still think is like, what makes me like it so much. One of the things that makes me like it so much is like the very specific name. Like, like I think if this song had been saying like little girl or baby or, you know, like any kind of more generic sounding lyrics, it'd still be a really great song. But I think the fact that it's like this specific name that he's saying over and over again makes it like very real and affecting and along i agree with that and along with that i think it's that we don't even get it in the song until the bridge and then the outro and so i don't know i feel like there's an element of like that for me too where it's not like you know you got a lot of songs where the title and the chorus is just like hitting the name hard every chorus and so yeah you know but saving it there for the end that it really just brings it in 
like more impactful. I really mm-hmm. enjoy it. So my number one track on the album is track five. The stars will leave their stage. Just like ships in the night, promising to collide. Well, I'm casting myself aside, and the shoreline alive with the streets with the shrine. And this uh, just matches the album where I am shocked like if you put this on paper i would have never guessed how much i would love this album and listen to this album i absolutely would have never guessed that this would be my favorite track but just the more and more i listen to it i would have mornings where i would wake up and this would be like immediately in my head and i would have to like go find it i'd be like i know it's from this album what song is that <laughs> and and it was a few mornings that Brittany was like why do you keep singing that song when you wake up I was like i don't know it's just it's in there i love it there's like a very tight grouping of like first, second, third, and this is like in there with it for like I I, I love this song also. James, what are your thoughts on this track? I, I feel like this is you my like, Doritos and Fritos <laughs> moment. Yeah. <laughs> I I don't get it. I uh this is the this is like the first one that like really stood out to me that's like as the like Mom, I want Radiohead. And she's like, well, we have Radiohead at home. And it's this. <laughs> like, <laughs> uh, See, I, I thought you'd love this song because of the like cool circuit bending stylophone sounding electronic stuff. Like the like cheap lo-fi sounding stuff that keeps going back and forth. Yeah, I like the, um, the, there are a few elements I like. And one of the things I did have is like the hollow chip tune opening on it. And I also really like this, like, uh, this, like, two hi hat groove in the drums towards the end of the track. I think it's pretty cool. And I'm breaking into the breach of the How he has, again, it's probably like a chopper or a clap stack that he's playing on, or it might just be stack cymbals. Because that's also the trend, but he's like playing this pattern, and then we'll occasionally open the hi hat in between. Is neat. Um, it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> we have a my family, like siblings and and uh, spouses and stuff. We'll occasionally like put together a playlist where everyone will like put their three favorite tracks from the last six months or whatever, and. We'll smash them in a playlist. It's kind of fizzled out because we've learned that when we listen to the playlist, we really like our three tracks. And that's about it. <laughs> so it's like, I'm just going to keep listening to my music. But there's a we few of do them this on our own. On. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, so we, every now and again, they'll come out and we'll like participate for their benefit kind of thing. But I put this on one of them and I've been meaning to reach out because I, I imagine it caught people off guard and <laughs> because again like especially with the way he sings in this song it's even kind of more exaggerated with that deeper weird ways of annou- of like saying words um but the i mean just that simple line you've got carrying it through the whole thing like the like i love that throughout it but then when we get that little do 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 that kind of takes it into the chorus it's such a 
it's like too simple and too, it, I don't know, it's in my head when I hear it, I'm like, oh, this is nice little filler line. But the fact that it like takes us into the chorus and there's a way like the lead, like instrumental line of the chorus just throws me off. But at the same time, like it works so well for me that like that's the part when I wake up and I'm singing it, I'm just like, man, I love this so much. And so every time it comes in and when we get it for the first time, it like doesn't go into the chorus. So it's like a little hint of like, this is what's coming. And I don't know. I Again, I don't understand why I love it so much, but I do. We do get some more interesting bass playing on this song. A lot of the, I mean, the, the bass playing throughout the whole album is fine. Like I don't, this isn't like the bass player standout album or anything, but like, most of the other tracks, the bass playing is just kind of this kind of root, like supporting the song. You know, you don't notice it that much in, in a good way. You know, it's just kind of like the solid foundation you want a bass guitar to be. But on this one, the bass playing is actually a little more, there's more movement. It's a little more dynamic bass part. Track six, Belonging. There in the light. album at this point kind of takes a turn for me where again my history with slow songs are just kind of like meh let's get past them into the good stuff but I feel like whenever I've listened to this album like been paying attention I'm like oh this is the slow song of the album and then the next song comes it's like oh there's another slow song on this album like I think we definitely feel like a transition here with the next one or two songs past this also just calming things down. But at the same time, this I would put this on one of my like lowest tracks of the album. However, I've also never like while listening to the album, I feel like it works so well together. I've never felt like, oh, I need to skip this song because I don't like it. So I really don't like this song. <laughs> it's you do it's, skip this song. I I I never have because <laughs> um you know try to listen to its entirety but it's just it's the least interesting um in terms of like what's going on there's there's not a lot it's very very sparse the kind of like detuned bell patch I feel is a little cliche for the genre and so having that as like the only real instrumental support until like the string glissandi come in is like mm. and then even then when when that happens it's like two and a half minutes into the song and it's just like it's too little too late at this point the song's almost over <laughs> there's no saving it like <laughs> i wouldn't say i dislike or like this song um one thing that helped me kind of like it more though is like treating it like the ballad for the album you know like a lot of rock albums it you know they might have like the one ballad on it like <laughs> this is a, a terrible example but uh you know like 
you have like a Creed album and then, then they have like with arms wide open, that's like kind of the more ballad version of Creed. And like, I guess if you had to have like, what is the ballad version of like a post-punk band, it might be something like this. And that kind of helped like unlock the song for me that like, it's kind of serving that same kind of role. Like, like, like Darwell said, kind of like change of pace, breaking up the album a little bit. Um, I, like I said, I still didn't like love the song, but that kind of helped me appreciate it more. I do, uh, you know, as I've said before, I always love like whale sound synthesizers. <laughs> so this has some good, like woo, woo, woo whale song stuff that I like, but yeah, like I said, I, I didn't hate it, but I, I didn't like love it. Well, and to Darvel's point about this being like a turning point in that on the record, with the next song also being a slow song, but being way, way, way better than this song. I, I, I think, again, it comes into like album arrangement. If these songs were further apart, I might not like it, but it was always like, oh, this is the bad slow song. Let's get to the good slow song. <laughs> so, you know, you know, like, I don't know. But maybe there's something to, uh, you know, coming out of tracks two, three, four, five, just loving them, especially, you know, for me, loving them. And then coming in, if we were to jump straight into The Lie Becomes the Self, I might mentally be like, oh, bummer, we're coming to a slower one. But having this belonging, my mind does the drop already. So then it can be excited for seven, where it's like a slower one, but better than what I just got. So I doubt anyone took any of that into consideration when <laughs> writing or arranging this, but uh, it works for me. <laughs> Producers like you know what we need something that sucks a little bit. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's what I keep telling myself that the is happening with the MCU. That it's like after Endgame, they're like, there nothing we can do will be good. So let's just make everything really crappy for a while. <laughs> then when everyone's lost faith in us, we can start making some good stuff again. <laughs> it's a like rope a dope type thing. <laughs> so well, so. One last thing about belonging that maybe makes more like I was saying, like viewing it like the ballad of the album. One other way you could view it along the lines of what we're talking about is like almost, you know, some albums have an interlude that like kind of bridges two halves. And like I think on an album that has like a very clearly mind and functional intro and outro maybe treating this track six since it is like the exact middle of the album treating it like an interlude also works and i I had a moment when i was listening to the album today just to kind of recap all my thoughts i don't know what was going on if my phone was messing up or my brain but like it skipped from track five to track seven and i was like oh i didn't hear belonging so i went back and selected it and every time i hit six it went straight to seven and i was like is this an empty track? Like, is there like, does it just have a title and it's like a zero second song or something? I had to like go mess around and find it somewhere else. And then when I finally heard it, so at first I was like, oh, this must be just like a cool kind of what you're describing, Joey. Like, okay, we're cutting the album in half. We're using this track to do it, even though there's nothing here. And so then <laughs> when I did finally get it working and hearing, it was like, oh, it kind of still has that effect and there still is kind of nothing here. But uh, anyway. I don't, again, don't know what was going on with my iTunes, but 
I, I do think it works for that purpose of just kind of like a empty space song to separate the album. So, track seven, The Lie Becomes the Self. Don't get it twisted, the lie becomes the self. Don't get it twisted, don't get it twisted, the lie becomes the self. Well, so first of all, this is another song. Uh, <clears throat> the Stars Will Leave Their Stage being the first one, but then The Lie Becomes the Self. The Johnny Greenwood guitar patch comes back again, where it's it just sounds like a Radiohead. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if they like put their Kemper up to a Radiohead record to copy <laughs> the, the patch. Like, it's so close. Uh, another thing is uh, about three minutes and 20 seconds in, we get this like super aggressive drum part. That again, great playing, not taking away anything from this drummer. But again, this is a very 2020s thing of what are are known as backbeat fills. So the idea is that you're playing fills the whole time, but you're still hitting the two and four on the snare. It's pretty popular um, with like Nashville, kind of like pop country music. Uh, So a lot of session drummers do it. But again, it kind of like firmly grounds the... uh, the record in this period in time. Are you listening for it, Doc? Praise and Worship does it a lot too. Yeah. Oh yeah. Like uh Hillsong and yeah. Mm-hmm. Another thing in the drums, I really like the constant use of the ghost notes throughout it. Moving on to like the vocal stuff. I think the don't get it twisted line is the best hook on the entire record. I think, I think it's just, it's extremely strong. Um, it's stuck in my head like all the time even if i didn't know the other lyrics like i found myself singing that like don't get it twisted like throughout the um ironically that was also a part where megan was like like this has to be darvel singing and i was <laughs> like i was like no no it's not so um yeah great i think the best vocal performance on the record great song Something that's interesting I I thought about this song is um, for an album that has so much synthesizer and keyboard stuff on it, a lot of it is not super recognizable synthesizers and keyboards. Like it's kind of more interesting and like I said, tends to a little bit different sound. Whereas this song, we finally get something that's like, oh, that's a Mellotron. I hear Mellotron. Like it's like the first time we hear keyboard synthesizer stuff that is like in a more kind of generic keyboard synthesizer sound that I'm not complaining. It, It sounds good, but it's kind of surprising that for how much keyboard is on this album that we don't hear like a kind of hallmark recognizable, at least me not being a, a keyboard nerd, um, that there's not like a super recognizable, like, oh, that's a clavichord, that's a Mellotron, that's a Wurlitzer, you know, whatever it is. Like until this track seven, we finally hear like just right down the middle Mellotron type playing. 
I also think this this song is a little bit different production. It has like a cleaner, raw type sound than than some of the other ones that have this kind of rumbly, low-end type sound. Not not a huge difference, but a little bit of a difference. So one of the reasons why is uh, Arturia has made like a uh, Mellotron clone. Hmm. Up until this point, like until recently, if you wanted a Mellotron, you either had to have one from the 80s mm-hmm. or or earlier, you know, 60s or whatever, or you had to have the the digital versions, which uh, are essentially just running VSTs inside of mm-hmm. them, but they're charging you know, 2000 bucks for them. But yeah, I think I think it's Arturia has made like a $150 plugin that uh, replicates that sound. So it might be hmm. someone just stumbled onto that on a yeah. Hmm. I wonder if we'll be hearing more Mellotron in music because of it. There's also like, there are also some like companies that are doing this kind of like lo-fi Mellotron knockoff thing. So yeah, maybe. I hadn't noticed this until listening to it just now, but uh, towards the end of the song, like when it starts to transition over to the different sounding outro, there's a, sound that comes in that like really high like and it's the same sound that's in the second track crying that that sound track starts with Hmm. and uh i mean again using track six is like cutting it in half right this would be our first track in the second half which would match up with crying and uh anyway i don't know if there's any kind of arrangement stuff there and it's it's the type of stuff especially where this track is called the lie becomes the self you know don't get it twisted like if there's any type of oh and even you know standing at the foot of your mirror the reflection i'm revealed if it's like oh are we like getting a different side of crying and it's more like the lie being revealed or anyway it's that type of stuff that i love because i want it to be there but then I'm always like, I'm pretty sure I'm like looking at things and making connections that aren't really there. But it is the same sound, though. So there's something to that. That's cool. That's some really cool uh, symmetry. And I mentioned that line, too. That was one I was like standing at the foot of your mirror. I like because like I think like the foot of the bed, like it's it's kind of more of like a. I don't know, like horizontal thing. And like, I'm like, where's the foot of the mirror? Like, is it like <laughs> any, like anywhere you're next to the mirror, you're at the foot of the mirror. I don't know. It's just a weird use of lyrics that I would never use, but I like it. So something this album is just further proof of. So I've been really paying attention to it doing this whole podcast, not just this episode, but all the episodes. Anytime we talk about lyrics or I'm I am made to pay attention to lyrics, is that like something I never do that I always I feel like I need to, you know, like people tie a string around their finger to remember something. Is that like if you have a cool line in a song, you can just say it a bunch of times. Like <laughs> Like, I I feel like anytime I sit down and write a song, it's like, 
I have to make a million cool lines, you know, like, or like every line has to be a different thing. Whereas like we've talked about a lot recently, um, who were we talking about as a few albums ago? That's like, uh, when you make a cool, oh, it was then the, the distillers album when she's like, my, my name's Brody. I am Brody, but you know, like, like over and over again where it's like, oh, you, you can just like say the same thing again and it's okay. Like, in fact, it's even cool. I thought you were going to be like, you know, like the song, like $1 million from the Gex record. You just, yeah, perfect <laughs> example. <laughs> well, anything else we want to say about this track? Track 8,000 Lives. Okay, James, I'm wanting to know your thoughts on starting an album out with very, in my opinion, dated sounding breakbeats. <laughs> yeah, I actually had a, that's actually like the top note that I have on here is like breakbeat with synth intro. It's uh not good. <laughs> <laughs> it was... I, when I like literally like the first second I heard it, I was like, this is cheesy. Like, cause you immediately are like sent for me. I'm immediately like sent back in time 25 years, uh, where you had British pop bands integrating breakbeats into their song because of drum and bass and acid being popular in British house, like 10 years before that. So like, Either were 20 years or 30 years dated, you know, you can pick. But like the the song I was thinking is that song Babylon by David Gray is what it kind of reminded me of. Sunday all the lights in London, shining sky is faded, red to blue. Mm -hmm. Um I think what's cool is that like as a song unfolds the drums are kind of ugly sounding. They have like a, uh, I, I wrote that almost sounds like when you have a tape that's been recorded over too many times, it's kind of like warbly clipping sound that I think it's kind of like a lo-fi thing that kind of helps differentiate between like, like I said, the kind of dated use of, of break beats. Yeah, I actually had a note about that too, about the quote, blown out over the top drumming. Mm -hmm. uh, I, it was a choice. I don't know if it was the one I would have made. Um, it's better than the thing in the beginning. The The problem with like breakbeats in, in this, the year of our Lord 2024, is that like when we have so much like cross genre stuff, like you mentioned, um, praise and worship earlier, but like, especially gospel music has really introduced linear drumming to uh, basically every drummer who plays now. And there are a lot of drummers like Mark Juliana and Jojo Mayer who have done a lot of stuff with breakbeats where they've been able to like hack them and fuse them with linear drumming in such a way that like, like Jojo Mayer specifically says that like, you know, there's ones and zeros and I'm trying to be between the one and the zero. I'm trying to 
do something a drum machine can't do. So when you hear this kind of like throwback, especially with how good the drumming's been on the rest of the record, it's like, this ain't it. Like, this is not the way to go, in my opinion. I will say, though, the snare break that happens at like three minutes is so good. I I love that little drum break thing at the three minute mark and then and then the the instrumental stuff that that comes right after it i i think it's such a great moment i I think the best part of this song is um and something that doesn't happen enough i think throughout the record is like about a minute in, you get this like descending piano sound that hangs out for about like 15 seconds and then the guitar comes in and it's just like these like long guitar tones take the clouds between our windows and the sky crystals forming on your cheeks my love the second time it happens at 217 they develop the idea a little bit more and it becomes this like kind of like back and forth trade-off where they're both playing the same line, but it starts like eventually like wrapping up and folding onto itself. The the problem with doing like maximalist wall of sound stuff all the time is that a lot of times you don't let ideas develop because you're just adding the next new thing and i that was something for me that was that was pretty neat um i wish i would have heard more yeah this track i it was one that immediately i just kind of was like okay it's another track on the album whatever but the more and more I listened to it and spent time with it, like just finding more and more things that I love. And I don't have any, there's no part of me that's like, oh, break beat, you know, everything you guys are talking about. Like, I don't have that in me at all. So I didn't have to fight over that, which may have helped me like it more. But uh, I, w- I do love that. Like just from the, like the first verse. And then when he does the, I'd like to remind you of this, beside you I die to exist like I feel like musically nothing really changes there it's just his singing like he like separates the words a lot and like really holding out the lines and it's crazy to me like how much it kind of like slows the pace even though nothing else has slowed in the pace of the music and it's something that I've as I've noticed it in other songs too I've always been like man I don't I've never like held out words or like you know, I'm like this, okay, it makes sense to say this in this amount of time. So I'll sing it in this amount of time rather than like dragging it out over like twice as many or four times as many bars. And, uh, I really enjoyed that. And then, but the instrumental stuff that you were mentioning, James, like the, and kind of like waterfalls, echoey, that eventually turns into the musical break you were talking about, Joey, building up to that big snare moment. And then after that, <clears throat> I uh, I had a few moments listening to this track that like it would almost like put me in a trance, like just the musical stuff and just really, I don't know, 
as cliche as it is, like lose myself in the music. And I don't experience that a lot. Um, but yeah, it was always like a bizarre experience for me, like coming out of that, just being like, whoa, okay. Like that was, that was something. And uh, yeah, there's other tracks coming up. I had similar experiences with, but again, I don't know if this is like a genre I need to spend more time in or what it is about this music, but it's uh, easy for me to get lost in. I think the key thing to remember is that like when you're having those moments, we're getting lost in the music, you know, and you're in that moment, you've got to own it and never let it go. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for that. You're welcome. <laughs> I do. I do not like his speaking. Is it? I don't remember what line it is, but with crystals forming on your cheeks, my love. With crystals forming on your cheeks, my love. I'm like, okay, but I've heard it enough that I don't cringe anymore when it happens. I I will say like, there's a tiny voice inside my head. Anytime I hear any sort of goth music, I hear uh, there is an episode of of South Park where they're, the goth kids make a band to join the talent show or to protest the talent show. And they're like, no, 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 not gonna join your talent show. No, 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 no. I'm not gonna be in the talent show. Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> and like, I hear that every time. <laughs> All right, track nine. We had to disappear. So, so before, like we like get in this track, I just I had a note scribbled on this fourth page that I just realized I, I meant to mention earlier. Uh, so in 2019, Idols was touring and uh, the Murder Capital opened for them, and Joe Talbot, the lead singer from Idols, who's also been considered by some to be a post punk band, interestingly enough, said, "I think that one day we'll be supporting them." <laughs> and uh I don't think so. <laughs> I I think uh, I think Idols is a is a much better band as a general rule and does a lot more diverse uh, a lot has more diversity in their music but also has more <sighs> dynamic performances I would say or something more stage presence like so anyway, take it, that for what you will, but it kind of reminds me you talk about clutch a lot on the podcast James how like it reminds me how like it seems that other bands like clutch a lot more than the general population <laughs> in that like they are always asking clutch to open for them on any tour and yet clutch is not nearly as famous as any of the bands that seem to really love them. <laughs> And and I've seen Clutch on some weird tours. They opened for Coheed and Cambria. Yeah, I mean, they stick them on any... Like, I saw them open... I think it was like Megadeth or some like very... 
you know, popular big time radio metal band. And and then they come out and they're like, you know, bang, 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 yeah. vominos, vominos. It was around it was around the time of that, is maybe like right before that song that album. Sorry, so back to this album. We had to disappear. We had to disappear. Yeah. Metallica's song from Mission Impossible 2. Is that the name of a track? No, it's I Disappear. I Disappear was like Metallica's big single from, I think, MI2. Yeah, now that I hear the proper title, I'm like, oh, okay, I know what song (laughs) we're talking about now. It's an interesting layout where, I mean, according to how it's broken out on Genius, like it's four verses. And, uh, I mean, I guess you could break up like the end of those as courses, but yeah, it's not your typical verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge, which a lot of their songs haven't been following, but just not having anything that falls in the chorus category is uh, unique. So at the very beginning of this song, what is making those chords? Is that guitar or synthesizer? The only place to go from here that's all Or both. I, I like it. It sounds good, but I wasn't quite sure what I'm hearing. I assumed it was synthesizer, but I don't know. If it is synth, they're doing a really good job of like a strum pattern. Yeah, yeah. That's I think that's why I couldn't quite tell. It didn't have that like immediate simultaneous attack like a synthesizer often had. But it also, it would be, I I wouldn't quite know how to make that recipe of effects for guitar either. So I I wasn't sure. It it sounds great. Like I said, I like how the drums, there's kind of different production on different songs. And I like on this one that we don't have as much of a gate as we've had on previous ones. The, The drums are, they're still ultra ultra compressed and saturated you know you can hear them just like slamming the the compressor but they're not so gated and small sounding they almost have like a big like 60s drum feel a little bit it sounds good and then even though i think james will probably think it's gimmicky i like the little upbeat china trash symbol thing towards the the offbeat thing towards the end No, I, I I like it too. I think the uh, it, it didn't occur to me until like just this second. But I think another band that's being copied a little bit on this record is LCD Sound System. Hmm. This kind of like dance like drum beat is what makes me think of that for the first time. Um, but no, I I think the this song was really refreshing. This is the first one I actually said. This is the first song that feels really different. In terms of production. So, um, I, yeah, no, I, I think it's good. Um, I like the, like I said, the dance style beat. I like the, the wall of sound wash. Um, the clap stack makes its appearance again. So, good stuff. I do love the, the bass line that comes in after the second verse. The doom, 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 and keeps going for a while. It uh, it falls in the same category for me as from the stars will leave their stage when it goes into the chorus and has that little instrumental instrumental melody. I feel like where 
this song is like you could say missing a chorus. I feel like like bringing in lines like that kind of helps kind of fill that void to where it doesn't feel like the song is missing something. But uh, again, it's a new experience for me of like really getting into the instrumental melodies and hooks and really enjoying those throughout the album. So on to track 10, sounds like you guys are loving this one. Only good things. I do love this song. Which apparently this was their first single off that uh, off the track. Uh, I keep saying it off the album. I like the Tears for Fears. Everybody wants to the everybody wants to rule the world is kind of what the intro of this song. Not like a copy, but definitely like a similar feel. Well, and it's the first time on the record we actually get something in like a, a triplet mm-hmm. feel instead of a duple feel. So yeah, you kind of have that like a little bit of like a light like swing kind of element, which is not when used enough. Especially since this song is more, spends more time in major chord territory than other songs rather than like somber minor key stuff. So I'm curious about Darvel's take on this. This song reminds me of later Shins. Yeah, I actually was thinking the same thing when... Uh, well, the funny thing is, it reminded me specifically of a song on the Shins, Oh, Inverted World. But I was like, I was like, man, I'm not even going to mention the Shins because that's just weird to bring up the Shins with this album. <laughs> but that, So I'm glad you said that. But it's funny that you mentioned... Like you're saying later Shins, mm-hmm. but the song it made me think of was from the first album by the Shins. I, I think that this slots pretty well on, um, oh, geez. The one after the one we reviewed. The Wincing the Night Away? Wincing the Night Away. Yeah, I think this could slot on there pretty well and no one would blink an eye. Yeah. He does sing in a higher register on this song then i think maybe more than any other songs he he isn't singing quite so low pitched on this track i hadn't noticed that but yeah i think you're right a couple other things i really liked about it i liked how short it was it it doesn't feel like i I feel like a lot of the songs on here and this is kind of part of the you know post-punk genre as a rule is that like things kind of overstay their welcome (laughs) <laughs> so like you get done with the last verse and then it's like now we're going to have an instrumental jam for the next minute and take you out and it's like we don't we don't have to do that every track it's it's okay to just stop the song sometimes and so having a shorter song i think was nice i also really um the tambourine on the backbeats yeah so good show me the thing only good thing It is is a very as a way to kind of like elevate that positive mood, but then also the tambourine syncopation that happens a little after two minutes in is the best drumming on the record. I mean, it, 
if he's doing that by himself, it's amazing. Um, if another musician's contributing, it's still really cool. But but it's it's one of the coolest drum patterns on the entire album. Yeah, I I I even wrote that like that the tambourine on this whole song, but especially that cool syncopated part is like maybe one of my favorite elements or moments on this whole album. It's such a good groove. And I think it's because I don't remember what album we've talked about before where we someone said this same thing, but about like how refreshing syncopation can be that like, if you have so many songs that have just like a very quarter note or eighth note, you know, metronomic style beat, even if it works for those songs that like when you finally get some moments of syncopation or stuff that happens on the upbeat or, or whatever, like it's a very like refreshing thing to hear. And and you're right. I just checked that there are three songs on this album that are over five minutes and half the songs on this album are over four minutes. The lyrics, they do a cool thing where the... Like they they start off with jewels like three different times, and the first time it's jewels on the signs of streets with strange names, and then the next time we get jewels in your eyes, like Vega at night, and then the last time it's jewels on the signs of streets with your name. I've seen hmm. it's just just I mean again I don't know why or what it means but I like it so gonna have to steal ideas like that. In my own lyrics yeah it's cool like referencing earlier parts of the songs but not just like it's not repeating but it's also you know pointing back at them this this chord progression on this song i think maybe is the most radiohead chord progression not not necessarily in the sound of the song but just like in purely like music theory ter- terms like the kind of the way I think a big part of it is that chromaticism where like they're kind of always kind of teeter tottering between major and minor stuff. Like they're doing a lot of like, uh, you know, parallel minor and major chords where like they'll play uh, an A minor chord and then immediately an A major chord or, or, the, or the, the opposite. You know, I think it's like a, a cool, a cool sound that I, I associate with Radiohead. Yeah. And I, this might be something since you're a theory person, Joey, you can point out. Um, one of, one of the things I do a lot with the music I write is I, I just think of like C is C and it doesn't matter what I do with C. If I do C Lydian or C major or C minor, like I'll just use chords from all of them together and um, my composition teacher last semester was like, oh, yeah, you write panmodally. Hmm. And I was like, I've never heard, I've never that, heard that word. Okay. And so, yeah. I, I mean, just, I, I, I get it. That is a good word that does describe that. But that's that's cool. So, yeah, I was when you Google it, it comes up with like a bunch of like. Uh, like plugins and stuff like <laughs> there's not actually like a. So anyway, I was curious if that was like a common music theory term that I was just aware I, of. Or... I'm not familiar with it. I mean, like I said, it's very immediately clear what that would mean in that context, but I've not I've not heard it. It is it is something that 
And see, I don't, I tend to not think in those terms, which I think is limiting. Um, not, not so much like I enforce a bunch of rules, but like when I'm thinking about what could a song do, I do kind of start like, well, I could do this. And if I don't do that, I could do this. Like, and it would take a lot of like expanding the boundaries for me to kind of get to that place of having all the different chords available like that. But, uh, I still don't know, like moving directly from like one chord, like the, the chromaticism involved. I don't know if I'd ever think to write stuff like that. Well, that's, that's the benefit of being a composer and not an actual songwriter is like, I don't have to play this crap. <laughs> <laughs> right. I could just, it's, I put it out there and they're like, it's hard. It's like, Oh, I'll get good. Get good kid. Like, I don't know. It's your problem now. So I went and did some research. I think actually the shins that this makes me think of the most is, uh, before they were the Shins, they put out an album under the name Flake Music. And this was back in my obsessed with the Shins and wanted to know everything about them. So went and found the album and bought it. But there's a few tracks on Flake Music that even like the guitar tones and like the lines that they're playing, it sounds like it was taken off of some of the tracks on Flake Music. Just a little showing off my love for the shins, but so well, there you go. That's why you like this record. <laughs> yeah, but I'm, at the same time, though, like that's just this track. I don't think anything else on this album <laughs> sounds like the shins. So, which the other interesting thing to me is that this track never like jumped out at me. Like I always enjoyed it, but if you guys were like, "Hey, give me your top five tracks," I don't know if I would have put this on there. Which, you know, now really diving into each one more, it's like, well, no, this one should definitely be up there. But it just, in the dozens and dozens of times I've listened to this, I've always enjoyed this song, but never enough to like note it as like, let me give you a medal or ribbon for later. But you guys right away, well, I guess not right away, but. You know, it's funny for me, the first time it actually was right away because the first time I sat down to listen to this album, not sat down, I was in the car and I pushed play and I didn't realize that I had clicked play shuffle instead of just play. And so what's weird though, is that it played, I don't remember what song it played first, but then it played tracks like two, three, and four in order and then played, I think it actually played like track two, track three, then only good things, then Ethel. And I was like, man, this album is just like stacking them up. This is awesome. <laughs> like, and I, and then when I went back and listened to it again, I realized like, oh, only good things is like almost at the end of the album. So I did hear it, hear it and like it very early. I, whenever I think about shuffling tracks, 
the first time I ever listened to the Hamilton album. I didn't realize I had it on shuffle. <laughs> and I'm like, how is anyone following this? And it, was, it kept doing it kept doing tracks that like have the years also. And so I'm like, oh, we're going back now. Okay. Like oh, we're jumping forward again. Like uh, it took me a, a while to finally figure out what was going on there. Oh man, that's really funny. Were you going to say something else, Joey? Yeah. Yeah. Just want the kind of one last thing towards the end of the song. Um, there's some guitar parts that almost sound like a horn section that I think is very cool. Like, they almost sound the way you would have like a trombone and a trumpet playing horn parts. I I, I should have wrote should have written down like an actual timestamp as an example, but I thought it was a a pretty clever way to have those sounds in a band with no horns. Yeah, you could definitely replace that lead guitar up there with horns and just have it fit right in. Mm-hmm. All right, track 11, GG's Recovery. Now I can Today I had a funny thing with this song. I was listening to this album like right before we started recording to just kind of get a refresher. And I got to this track and I was like, oh, it's noon. They must be doing the tornadoes. And I was like, wait, it's Sunday. Like they don't do. But like (laughs) this song started like right at noon. And I thought the like synth at the beginning of this song was, it sounds very similar with where the siren is in relation to my house, to how it sounds on Saturday at noon when they're testing them, so. <laughs> There's a good use of the uh, the Hans Zimmer TikTok here at the beginning. So... If, if you're not familiar with Hans Zimmer, he does like a million movie scores. But anytime he wants to build tension, he does this like tick tock, tick tock, tick tock in the background. And it starts to build tension a little bit. He also uses shepherd tones, so that's a different conversation. Um, but yeah, and so he that, also does womp. <laughs> womp. Like every, ever since the rock score, that's all. I hear him do womp. Since we brought up brought it up, have you guys messed with the shepherd tone? Is that before? the like the illusion, the siren that never, or like the descending tone that never stops? Yeah. So, Darvel, you know the endless staircase of Mario sixty four. Yeah. Do you know how the music sounds like it keeps going up forever as you run up the stairs? I don't think I ever noticed that. No. So let me go check it out. It's an illusion called the shepherd tone. And basically what it is, is like you stack up three octaves and the lower octave you can't hear in the beginning. But as it becomes present, the top octave starts to drop off and then you just repeat it. And so it sounds like it's just constantly getting higher and higher and higher. But there's a uh, there is a tone generator online um, that my noise has called Shepherd Madness, where they play the Shepherd tone ascending and descending at the same time. And there were like warnings all over the page of like, 
this can cause you to have a panic attack if you listen to it long <laughs> enough. <laughs> They're like, and apparently like some people, so this is one of those like internet things, like I can't verify the truth of this. So grain of salt, but supposedly it was like a torture method. Like at one point in time, the US employed because okay. it causes people to like hear like hallucinate like audio hallucinations if they listen to it long enough so i i do have a friend who says they are like very sensitive not like torture sensitive but like gives them like the bad version of chill bumps that they're like no i don't want to hear it hearing the descending shepherd tone mm. that like they're like i don't like it it makes me feel weird <laughs> I think uh, I think it's like the sensation of like I'm waiting for it to get to the bottom and it doesn't ever get to the bottom. <laughs> Not paying attention to it, it feels like it is always going up, like exactly what you said. But now, like listening for it, like finding the little moments where it's like, oh, okay, that is like the shift to make this possible. Because otherwise, it's like, how the heck <laughs> is this <laughs> happening? Yeah, that's bizarre. I'd never heard of that before or noticed that. I mean, I was. I loved running up that thing forever, but I uh, didn't realize <laughs> what the music was doing. So, so now when you watch any like Hans Zimmer movie, you'll like you'll start to notice it all over the place. I, oh, the yeah. one that, that comes to mind is uh, the Bat Pod in The Dark Knight when he's driving it around. That's like the engine sound. It's like, oh, okay, yeah, that's a shepherd tone. Wow, this this song, Gigi's Recovery. This is the only other moment on the album where it also reminds me of Pink Floyd a little bit, except it sounds like it could maybe be on uh, the wall. I think, I think because of the pulsing nature of it. Also more cool offbeat symbol stuff. Yeah. It starts around like the three minute mark. I think that was like my, my favorite part of the track. So here's another drum snare question. Is there a different, you think he's using a different snare on this song because it has like it's it's cool because it, it still has that like very dampened sound but it's much bigger sounding like almost like a field drum or something uh yeah i i wouldn't be and, and again i'm not like a super gear nerd so i'm sure someone would know exactly what it is to me it sounded kind of like a like a bell brass or something hmm that was just a lot deeper, like a 14 by eight or something. Mm-hmm. Um, but cause it still has that like really high pitched ring to it. But then it also has that, like you said, like a huge sound. It could also be, there's a recording technique that I don't know a lot about, but I know that, um, you can mic the top of, of the drum with like what you normally do, like an SM57. And then you put another mic underneath and that gets you just kind of like, almost like a room sound, but just for the snare. Maybe that was used. Hmm. Yeah, I don't really have anything to say about this track. It's, I enjoy it. Like, I, again, would never think to skip it, but I don't know if there's anything stand out about it from anything else we've already discussed on this album. I think the, like, part right before four minutes, this kind of, like, is where, like, my LCD sound system, like, analog comes in. So you get the kind of like, I guess, yeah, like dance-like beat. That's what kind of, I guess, what's making me think of that. I don't know. It's fine. <laughs> and then we've got the final track, which we already mentioned at the beginning, but coming full circle now back to 
exist. Existence changing. Existence. Exist. Existence changing. Existence changing. It, it was cool the first time I listened to this album, like I mentioned it at the beginning, but like the very first time and I realized that this is like calling back to the the opener, I thought it was like a pretty cool feeling to, to kind of, it really did feel like, oh, we're, we're, we, we brought it back, you know? I like this song because it meant the record was over. <laughs> <laughs> I I wonder, so like, the big difference between this song and the intro one is like, this is kind of a stripped down acoustic sounding. If I were to just like def on paper, I would think you'd start with the stripped down acoustic sounding and then end with the more processed affected one. But I, I don't think, I don't think it sounds wrong or anything. I'm just kind of surprised that the, given the difference between the two, which one comes first and which one comes last. I was just thinking the same thing. However, I do like how they went with it. I'm glad that the like acoustic guitar one is the last one rather than the first one. But it is interesting. So the opening, like at the end, says existence fading, existence fading. We're now at the ending. We're saying existence changing, existence hmm. changing. And yeah, the even going through the verse, it starts with strange feeling I'm dealing with. In the outro, we get new feeling, revealing it. And we get intro, I can't admit it, I lose my grip. Outro, I'll stay committed, I'll make it stick. Intro, that morning I thought I'd skip. Outro, this morning took ownership. Intro, this day forever became what if outro to stay forever in my own skin i think it's really cool i don't know what it means or what they're trying to express or anything or you know i could spend more time and but that's where i would come up with a hundred ideas that if i were to sit down with the singer they'd be like oh that's interesting not anything that i was thinking but very cool you pulled out of it so <laughs> <laughs> i was gonna say like i i think like the intro you have more of this kind of like questioning existence or maybe even like challenging existence whereas like the outro is more of this kind of accepting ex that like uh, either in a neutral sense accepting existence or even like in an optimistic sense of like you know the 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 gift of existence versus like the curse of existence or something yeah that's a I think very well said, looking at it again, as you're saying that. And connecting that into the album being Gigi's recovery, you know, the idea of recovery where you're starting in a bad place and then need to recover to a good place, but mm -hmm. it works really well with that theme too. So I do, and I do appreciate when albums are more than just, oh, here's X amount of tracks we've written. Let's slap them together kind of arrange it so it has a good flow and call it good and it, it does feel like this album aside from just these intro and outro that even within the there was like a connecting theme or sound to the music that i have had this album on repeat and just let it play for days and love every moment of it well i can't say that 
I'm typically <laughs> working. And when I'm working, like the background noise turns into like white noise. But whenever I come out of it and I'm hearing it play, I'm never like, oh, I need to turn this off and listen to something else. So final thoughts on the album? Anything you haven't expressed or wanted to reiterate? Well, I, I was going to ask, have you listened to any of their other stuff besides this album? I haven't yet. I haven't I did either. read something that mentioned it was a big change from their first album. Hmm. And so that scares me a little bit, but <laughs> I should check it out. I wonder, I wonder how many people out there are doing like a similar version of our conversation, but saying how much they hated it because they really loved their, <laughs> their previous <Yeah>. stuff. <laughs> yeah. James, anything to, like I said, it just, it did, I, on paper, I should like this record. I just overall did not like it as a, as an album experience. I would say, um, only good things, Ethel, crying, the light becomes a self and return my head are probably five tracks. I think are worth checking out. If you're interested in this record, that's half the album. (laughs) <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, but I think you can click through those and hear the first minute of each one and decide whether or not this is a record that you'd like. Um, because those are those are the best things on the record. And that's yeah. And, and again, just like I want I want to say again, the, the drumming is some of the best drumming I've heard recently in a long time. Um, I just thought that the trappings of the modern uh, drumming repertoire were a little bit funny. And see, I wonder if that's one reason I might like this album a lot more than you, James, is that like, I'm kind of in a little bit of this kind of Goldilocks sweet spot of like, I'm familiar with a lot of the things that it seems like they're referencing or maybe a lot of their influences. But I wouldn't say I, those things are like a huge represent like a huge amount of my musical tastes like i like post-punk i like goth rock but i don't they're low on the list of like my favorite genres and and then kind of similar with the drum stuff where it's like i stay a little bit up to date with trends and drumming and well i like watching drum youtube videos and stuff but i'm not like living in it like a drummer would be and so i think I'm familiar with it. I'm familiar enough with these things that like it's kind of primed my ear for it, but not so familiar that I'm like comparing it too much. I think that's a pretty good point. I think that's that's pretty fair because I feel the same way with a lot of the metal offerings that you bring Mm -hmm. where it's it's like I listen to stuff and I'm like, yeah, this is cool. This is new. Not super familiar with this. Whereas someone who listens to every new metal release would probably be like, Oh my God, these guys like Panopticon. They never <laughs> heard of, you know, blood grinds. They're way Flor- better. Florb snorb. Florb snorb. <laughs> <laughs> I love this album. That's all I got to say. And I am, I've, I've been making notes as you guys have mentioned other post-punk bands. And, uh, I am curious to go put together a playlist of those and, See if this is an outlier or if it's like, oh, shoot, this is my genre. I don't know on Spotify. Can you add podcasts to a music playlist? Oh, that's a good question. I don't know. 
Because the reason I say it is that the Chipmunks Goth album is not on Spotify as music, but there is someone who has added it as a po- a podcast episode. <laughs> so you could add that to your playlist. <laughs> okay, nice. Yeah, I, that is one of the tabs I have open to go back and look into. So I'm excited to hear that one. 